Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Who Cares, What's the Point? The podcast about the mind for people who think. My name is Saab Johal, your host and producer of the podcast, and you can follow the show on Twitter at WCWTP, or go to whocareswhatsthepoint.com for more details about this show. You can also find us on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or Stitcher, and you can follow me at Saab on Twitter too. In this third show of season one, we get into the concept of creepy. Now, creepy is a phrase you may have been hearing a lot more over the last two or three years, and often it's used in the context of unwanted advances, usually by a male after a female. But creepy can also be used to describe things or places, such as a house or an area that people are not really so keen to explore. But we don't really understand the concept of creepy all that well, because there's actually been surprisingly little research done on this concept. So I thought it would be a good idea to talk to Frank McAndrew at Knox College in Illinois about some of the research he's done recently about creepiness. And I started off by asking him what he meant when he used the word creepy. Well, that was actually what I set out to do because um, I started to suddenly be aware of how often I was hearing the word. People would talk about being creeped out by this guy or this movie they saw or describe somebody using the word creepy. And I started asking people, what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, And how is it different from being afraid of something or being disgusted by something? And people were having a hard time putting it into words, but they were pretty comfortable saying it was not the same thing as fear. It was not the same thing as disgust. It was something completely different. And so... Um, I set out to just gather some information to see if we could figure out what this thing is. And I had a hypothesis about that. Right. And and so what were the sorts of ideas that you were trying to test? Well, I'm something of an evolutionary psychologist. So I thought if there is this universal reaction that people have to certain situations or people or objects or whatever it is that's creeping you out, that um, it's pressing some kind of button in our brain that there, that's there for a reason. And my hypothesis was that we get creeped out when we're unsure about whether there's something to be afraid of or not. We're, we become hypervigilant. We monitor our environment to try to figure out what's going on. There's ambiguity there. And uh, we could get creeped out by a person. You're interacting with somebody who's uh, send, sending off some signals, but you don't really know if they mean you any harm or if they're dangerous. But you can also be in a place that makes you very uneasy, and you're not sure that there's anything there to worry about. So you essentially screen out everything else in the world except that one thing that you're concerned about. And um, it's an uncomfortable sensation. Uncomfortable sensations motivate us to do things. You get hungry, you eat something. Um, You get thirsty, you drink something. You get creeped out, you need to resolve something. You need to resolve the ambiguity. And so... Um, to eradicate this unpleasant sensation, you monitor, monitor, monitor. That's interesting because um, we hear quite a lot about when we have this kind of threat detector, um, we become very attuned to monitoring and becoming very vigilant around looking for threat in our environment. And I guess what you're saying here is that perhaps we might have a creepy detector which uh, alerts us to where things are ambiguous and then we monitor them really carefully to see what whether they are a threat or not. Is, is that right? 
Yes. I, I think of it as our caveman ancestor walking through the forest and there's some bushes rustling off to the side. Well, maybe it's just the wind or a rabbit or some harmless uh, little thing, but maybe it's an enemy or a predator waiting for you. Well, uh, natural selection was pretty ruthless in selecting the people who were cowards. Um, people who said, ah, it's probably just the wind. Uh, those genes got removed pretty quickly because they ignored real threats. People who overreacted and thought there was something dangerous there when there were, was not, they didn't really lose much, you know, a little bit of time maybe. And um, so we were selected to perceive threats in the absence of certainty. And the creepiness that we experience is our uh, early warning signal. So I think you go through creepiness before you get to fear. Creepiness helps you figure out if there's something to uh, run away from or not. And so creepiness, is that, um, do you think, just can be attributed to just people or things? Or is it places too? I think it's places too. Um, that's what haunted houses are all about. Uh, or places that give you the creeps are places that there's no overt sign that there's something there to worry about, but yet you're on your guard. Um, so dark alleyways where criminals could be hiding. Um Places with a lot of underbrush that could be concealing things. You're in a place where you can't see very far into it, or it looks as if you could get lost in there and not be able to get out and not be able to escape from a threat. These places put us on our guard. We don't know for sure that there's anything to worry about, but uh, nonetheless, they make us uneasy. I think there might be different types of creepiness, too. The kind we're talking about now, the ambiguity of threat, is... um, what I think we experience with people who may or may not mean us harm or places that may or may not be hiding some danger. But uh, people also get creeped out by things that are uneasily close to being human. Um, I think there's another way of thinking about creepiness that I didn't study yet, but I, I think I will eventually. When it's hard for us to categorize something, so uh, robots that become eerily human or dolls that are too lifelike, uh, sort of creep people out, it seems. We've seen that, haven't we, in um, more recent films and documentaries that I've seen where um, looking at those uh, mannequins and, ro- and robots that look incredibly lifelike, um, that does seem to trigger quite a different response in people. Yes, and actually this was discovered by people who uh, design robots. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the uncanny valley, but... Um, As things become more human-like, we tend to like them better and better and better until they get almost human-like, and then they sort of plunge into this valley that they call the Uncanny Valley. It was discovered by a Japanese uh, robotics professor. And and so some of the cartoons that are being produced now that uh, the Polar Express is often used as an example. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie, but the characters are sort of cartoonish but sort of lifelike. And people sometimes have an uneasy reaction to them. I think one of the reasons why zombies uh, never go away and why they're creepier than other kinds of monsters is they sort of are human. <laughs> they sort of aren't. Are they alive or are they dead? Um, you know, they're, they're right in that valley there. That, And one of the applications of this research, I know that's one of the things you may be interested in, is um, if you're trying to design spaces where people can feel comfortable or at ease – uh, you need to know what it is about places that creep people out and avoid that. And if you're designing things like robots, for example, that humans are going to be interacting with, 
You want to design them to be optimally comfortable for people to deal with. And uh, understanding where that creep line is can be very helpful. One of the things I noticed when I was reading some of your work, Frank, is that you discovered that we really don't understand creepiness very well at all. There's been very little work done on this concept. Um, did that surprise you? It absolutely astounded me. Um, the first thing I did, of course, when I started thinking about this was to go to the literature and see what people had written about it. And I was absolutely amazed that there was not a single study ever written about creepiness. Not even – there was one small book uh, written by a guy whose name escapes me at the moment, but the title of it was simply Creepiness. But it was a very different kind of way of thinking about creepiness than than I was looking at. And so, yeah, I – I was just surprised that nobody talked about it before. So in the study that you, you did, um, where you asked quite a few people, I think, um, maybe you can tell us um, more about that. I think it was over 1,300 people. Um, it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and what did you, what did you find in, in that study? Well, uh, it was an online survey, and we recruited people um, through a Facebook event. We set it up and just kind of spread the word. And we had a nice range of people, uh, ages from 18 to 77. Uh, about 1,000 of our 1,300 and some um, participants were female, so it was a very heavily female group. And I'll talk about some of the male-female stuff in a bit. But um, we essentially had four sections to the survey. In the first one, they were told to imagine that a friend of theirs just came back from an interaction with somebody, and they described the person as creepy. And then we gave them 44 statements about how a person might behave or how a person might look and asked them to just say how likely it was on a scale of one to five that this person who was described as creepy exhibited those behaviors or that appearance or whatever the thing was. We then uh, presented them with 21 different occupations, just sort of chosen from the whole range of occupations there are and asked them to rate those on creepiness. We asked them to just free associate and come up with two hobbies that they thought were creepy. And then we had a last section where there was a series of statements about creepy people or, or they, what they had to determine was how characteristic each of these things would be of creepy people. And finally, we had just asked them one question. Do you think creepy people know that they're creepy? And um, so when you put all that together, we found things that you might've expected um, males are bigger creeps than females, and I think for good reason. Um, males are simply more threatening, and if creepiness is about detecting potential threat, whether you're a male or a female, you're going to be on your guard more against a, a guy than you are against a woman. And um, another thing that was very clear is females in particular are more likely perceive some sort of sexual creepy vibe from a creepy person than men do. So when there were questions like, do you think this person has a sexual interest in you or is the person likely to steer the conversation towards sex, women were much more likely to think that uh, creeps would do that than men would. Did people disclose their own sexual orientation in, in, or sexual preferences in, in the, the survey that you did? We did not ask that. And in hindsight, that's one of those things that I think would have been interesting to know. So just going on the assumption that the majority of our females and the majority of our males were heterosexual, I would draw conclusions based on that. But um, 
But that's an interesting question. I'm not sure how that would change things. But a lot of what it comes down to is predictability. If a person is behaving in a way where they're following the script and you think you understand their intentions and what they're going to do next, they don't come across as creepy. Anything that a person does that makes them sort of unpredictable or outside of the norm uh, puts us on our guard. Um, nonverbal behaviors turned out to be, very, be a bit, very big predictor. If people aren't using eye contact right or they're laughing or smiling at the wrong times or their interpersonal distance is off, or, and some of those things really kind of send off signals. Yeah, if they don't know enough to follow those rules, what other rules <laughs> might they not understand and what might the implications of that be for you? Sure. And, and there were some um, other things that kind of speak to that concept when you came up, I think, with some findings around appearance as well. Yeah, um, some of the media portrayals of uh, my research really kind of latched onto that and said, oh, you know, if you've got bulging eyes, you're creepy, or if you have long fingers, you're creepy. That's not really what we found. I don't think the physical characteristics in and of themselves make a person seem creepy. But if you have unusual physical things, they sort of amplify or magnify uh, any creepy vibes you might be sending out because now you've got an unusual appearance combined with unusual behaviors. And that really um, you know, pushes us over the edge. So if you have A plus B, then that's what really starts the creepiness detector pinging for people. Yeah. A alone is creepy. B alone is creepy. And B, if it's behavior, is creepier than A, which is appearance. But A plus B, yeah, equals C for creepiness. Okay. And what do you, how do you think, um, I'm not sure about your sample, but how do you think cultural differences may, may play into the interpretation of some of these behaviors and appearance variables uh, between people? Well, we did, um, you know, one of the, it's another thing we didn't ask is where people were from. And we did have international representation in our sample, but since I didn't ask people where they were from, I wasn't able to sort of compare one country to another. So all I've got on this is informal anecdotal stuff. And I've talked to people from a couple of dozen of di different countries about this over time. And everybody seems to be on the same page. I, I don't have hard quantitative data on this, but I haven't had any conversations where um, I would talk about what, in other words, no matter where the person is from, as soon as I bring up the concept of creepiness, they understand immediately what I'm talking about. And, oh yes, we have people like that here too. <laughs> so yeah, everybody, everybody seems to know. So I do think it's sort of a universal reaction to unpredictable people. And you had some interesting findings as well around occupations and hobbies and how creepy they or not that they were perceived to be. Would you mind uh, talking about that a little bit? Yeah, and one of them has turned out to be sort of a problem for me, actually. Um, the occupation that was rated as the creepiest were clowns. And then you know about the creepy clown scare that's been going on around the world over the past six months or so. Mm -hmm. It seems to have settled down a bit now that Halloween is over. But um, I was asked to write an article about why people would be creeped out by clowns, which I did, and it kind of went viral and it was all over the place. But now I've got all of these sort of angry clowns harassing me and uh, getting on social media and causing trouble. It's like I invented the creepy clown idea. I'm just trying, I'm just the messenger. But uh, I never foresaw that coming. But when you think about clowns, they've got it all going on, right? They've got the 
odd physical characteristics, the big shoes, the wig, the red nose, the makeup. Uh, and you can't really read them because the, they might have a smile painted on their face, but are they really happy? And you can't tell what they're feeling. And they're mischievous by definition, right? They play pranks. Um, so you never know what's going to happen with them. And they do have that unfortunate association with mass murderers now because of the John Wayne Gacy case back in the 1970s and 80s, followed up by the whole Hollywood um, series of movies about killer clowns. So uh, clowns were number one. And that fits perfectly with the idea that it's about ambiguity and unpredictability. Mm. But um, some of the other ones that scored high in occupations were um, undertakers and taxidermists. And if you think about those, they're both occupations where the person is choosing to spend their time with dead things. And this is something most people would really like to avoid. And so if a person chooses an occupation where this is what they do, that right away makes them unusual. And if they're unusual in that way, what other ways might they be unusual? And uh, so perhaps that puts us on our guard as well. And yeah. That maps quite interestingly, I think, onto one of your other findings is that um, there was a perception uh, in your um, group that creepy people don't know that they're being creepy. Yeah, and they may not even have bad intentions. That was another thing that our subjects were pretty on the same page with. But um, that doesn't mean they're not dangerous. You know, if they're not following the rules and they don't understand the rules, well, they may do you harm without intending to be evil. And um, there are some funny implications of that because if somebody asks you who the office creep is where you work and you can't think of anybody, <laughs> you know, the, uh, you may have to look in the mirror. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it, it, it seems like people seem to think of creepiness as something that's just who the person is. And they, the, in some ways, think of them as poor souls who don't understand why the world doesn't react well to them. Okay, so there's some interesting social implications there then for those people who are portrayed or um, perceived as others as, as being creepy as to what their internal what their experience is like. Well, and I've gotten some um, sort of angry email and uh, comments on social media from people who immediately thought I was picking on or making fun of people who are different in some way, such as being autistic. And this did not in any way cross my mind at all when we were doing the research. And uh, it's unfortunate that people would think I was. But when you think about somebody that you're interacting with, if you don't know that person is autistic and they're interacting very strangely and awkwardly, you are going to feel a little creeped out until you have an explanation for what's going on. When you find out the person is autistic, they're no longer creepy to you because you understand why they're behaving the way they are. But in the absence of that explanation, they kind of give you the creeps. And, and, and hobbies. Um, you also found out that um, certain hobbies were seen as uh, perceived as more creepy than others. What, what were they? Well, uh, as with occupations, when people tend to gravitate toward things that most people would like to avoid, um, that sets you apart in, in an interesting way. Um, for example, collecting things, especially if you're collecting things most people would try to avoid, like reptiles or insects. Um, People frequently mention collecting body parts like bones and teeth as a creepy or hobby. I was not even aware that this was a hobby, but apparently people do things like this. I was um, 
on a talk show on Irish national radio and people were calling in and some woman called in and very innocently announced that she had saved every toenail clipping she'd ever had and that she kept them in a box in her closet and wanted to know if this crossed the line. And uh, I, both the, the host of the show and I, our reactions were priceless, I think, because she really caught us off guard. <laughs> but yes, I th- talk about an icebreaker. You know, come on back to my place. I want to show you something. Um, so, uh, yeah. So collecting odd things uh, and collecting things that like doll collecting was frequently mentioned as a uh, creepy hobby. So if you walk into somebody's house and they've got dolls sitting all over the place, people seem to think that's a little creepy. Another category of hobbies were hobbies that involved watching things or taking pictures of pictures of things. Um, bird watchers were frequently mentioned as being creepy. I have a, a colleague here who's a biologist. He's a, an ornithologist. And so he's a bird watcher and he does the bird census in our part of the country every year. But when he's out walking his dog, he brings his binoculars along because you never know when you might see an interesting bird. Well, the police have been called on him at least a half a dozen times because he's walking around in the neighborhood with binoculars and he's right away suspicious. People don't know what he's looking at. Um, so, yeah, I, that's something I hadn't thought about before the study. That's really interesting. I, I wonder how that may have changed over time as well with the, the you know, how much more common things like cameras are uh, and people are carrying them all the time now on their phones and other devices. And so I have the opportunity to do this and how that behavior is perceived in, in the modern era um, with, with all kinds of threat um, in our environment involved with taking pictures or surveillance. It's a, it's a really interesting finding. Yeah, and it's and it's harder to tell now. In the old days, you could tell when somebody was pointing a camera at you and taking a picture. Now somebody could be filming you, and you have no idea whatsoever. They just look like they're innocently looking at something on their phone. So um, I do think it is a new source of unease because you don't know when you're being watched. So who should care about this uh, research, Frank? Uh, and um, what, what's the point? Where, where is this going for you? Well, um, I will freely admit I didn't undertake this with any thought of solving any of the world's great problems or righting wrongs that are being done out there. It was just an idle curiosity. But uh, having thought about it a bit, I do think that understanding what it is that makes people uneasy, whether it's in a social situation with another person or whether it's in a place, uh, does have real-world applications. And we talked about some of those a little earlier. Uh, when it comes to designing robots, for example, or uh, uh, other things that humans are going to need to interact with. We want them to be comfortable to us, not something that we're apprehensive about or we find unpleasant. And places. Um, So, for example, if you've got a retirement community with older people and you want them to feel safe and you want them to feel comfortable going out and walking around, understanding how the design of the outdoor spaces Uh, And the arrangement even of indoor spaces can make people uneasy because it makes them hard, makes it difficult for them to see uh, far into the future. And you don't want to provide hiding places for um, predators, so to speak. So I think their understanding what creeps us out does have applications in the real world. I think that's interesting in terms of reducing that sense of anxiety for people who are 
perhaps feeling quite vulnerable already, as you say, in a in an older care residential home. Uh, and there may even be, uh, who knows, a creepiness design index that uh, could be in the offing in terms of thinking about how places can um, reduce that level of creepiness. Well, sure. And another place that can be applied, um, there, there is some research that shows that uh, children really don't like clowns as much as adults think children like clowns. And of course, they're always sending clowns into children's hospitals and places like that to cheer the kids up. You know, if we understand that kids don't get cheered up by this sort of thing, then, you know, maybe we can do a better job of it. Nothing worse than coming out of surgery and then being terrified by a clown. That's always amazed me as well. Have you ever thought about investigating the creepiness factor involved with um, being exposed to uh, uh, a rotund, jolly guy in a red suit around about Christmas time? Oh, that's that's a wonderful example because um, there are – okay, as a psychologist, I'm familiar with the literature on uh, when kids develop fear of strangers, uh, which is just about the time when they start starting to get mobile enough. They can crawl away from their parents. So they're about six months old, and um, that's when they start to be afraid of strangers. But the strangers that are the most frightening – and this tells us something about who is threatening to young children in our evolutionary past – are males with facial hair. And so if you think about Santa Claus in that way, you know, you're, you're presenting these kids who are two years old, you know, they're, you're forcing them on the lap of this guy that is pushing all the buttons for, uh, you know, a terrifying thing. And, and there are those famous, I don't know if you've seen them in New Zealand, um, the bad Santa Claus pictures, you know, kids being terrified. Yeah, they're, they're hilarious, but they're not hilarious for the kid that's going through it at the time. No, I've always been puzzled by that uh, as an experience, uh, as a rite of passage that we uh, put our kids through in in the cultures that do celebrate Christmas widely. Um, It's always been quite puzzling to me. And that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the third show in this first season. You can find the abstract and link to the paper we've talked about in the show notes to this podcast, or if you go to the website. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at WCWTP or me, your host and producer, Saab Johal, at Saab. You can also find us at Facebook or don't forget, whocareswhatsthepoint.com. And you can email at contact at whocareswhatsthepoint.com too. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's show. Please send me feedback through any of those channels. It would be great to hear from you. But until then, see you next week on... Who Cares? What's the Point?